Welcome to Everyday Driver, where cars are more than just transportation. They're freedom, a common ground, a way to grow, and can even make life better. We're here to help everyone find a car they love and discover all the ways cars connect us. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is The Car Debate. You and I had one of those crazy experiences the last few days that we so love about making this show. And you guys have seen the Instagram posts. We were on Pacific Coast Highway, Highway 1, the Big Sur section, which is the section that is the most iconic. Mm-hmm. So the mm-hmm. 50 to 100 miles just south of Monterey Carmel. And we had the crazy Daytona Coupe from Factory 5, thanks to Haggerty. And we had a Porsche Speedster replica. It's actually an episode for TV about replica cars and the accessibility of those versus the originals, like the Daytona. There's six of them. Yeah. So we weren't getting into a real Daytona for obvious reasons. This was a crazy adventure, and I'm so glad we got to shoot it. And the weather held. I'm so excited to share this piece. This is pretty amazing. We are still traveling, and yes, as Todd said, big thanks to Haggerty for sponsoring this episode. Of the the TV season eight, yes, which for is sure. going to be <laughs> we're shooting TV, grand. TV season eight. It's going it to be awesome. going to be grand. Well, guys, thank you for joining us. Like I said, still traveling. We're here uh, on uh, on a week of shooting, and we're shooting a two, lot done. Two TV episodes crazy. in one week. Two completely different TV episodes, but luckily one's mm. in the can. The Pacific Coast Highway one is in the can, which is very exciting. We're headed into our fifth of six episodes. To actually Not shoot, done. by the time we return, we will have five of six in. We've got editing happening like crazy, so that come the first Saturday in January, season eight will begin. I can't believe that. That I'm... is January twenty twenty one. By the yes, way, yes, yes. I'm a little bit afraid of the amount of editing that still holds, but we've got a lot of help. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna work our way through it. It's gonna be great. All right. Well, I would love to get a shout out to Rocco B on the island of Malta, who mm. wrote to us recently. He said, hey, Paul and Todd, from the little island of Malta, he discovered us from a Google search and very happy to have found us. That's cool. Rocco, how are you doing? Thanks for listening. Really appreciate it. He has been listening since episode 480, never misses an episode. By the way, he has a track daily crush for you, Todd. Uh Uh-oh. Your old GT86, your Lotus, and a Mazda RF. Track Daily Crush. That's actually a pretty good group. That is a pretty good group. Let me establish right up front, in case you haven't followed along, this is the reason that Rocco's asking this question. I love all three of those cars. He's trying to get you. Any of you had any of those three cars, I would applaud you and say, great job. But you're asking me, Rocco. He's trying so to stop the chump right now. You're asking he's, he's me, Rocco. So, so I will answer. Actually, you know what? I saw, side note, I saw a uh, RF go by us on Pacific Coast Highway yesterday with the top open. I just thought, that car's timeless. It really is. It's going to look great in 20 years. It, yeah, it looks it's great It's such now. a good looking car. In spite of that, to answer this question, I crushed the, the Mazda <laughs> I was RF. I say, you've and, delayed long and, enough. And, and you're crushing why. the RF? I, and here's why. Wow. Because... The 86 is a better daily for me for space and usability. Mm. And it's great to drive. I think about the fact that you know we live in Park City and there's snow on the ground and I, there's better storage. I've got much better space for me as a big guy. It is an easy car to drive all winter. I've proven that. So it would be the daily and my Lotus would be the track car. 
And as much as I love it, I would crush the Mazda RF. Can I do this one? Can sure. I do it? Yes. I, I know would, which one you're crushing. I would crush the 86. I know. I know you There would. is no looking back. I would daily the RF and, of course, track your Lotus. But, uh, Rocco, thank you so much. If you don't know where Malta is, it is southwest of the boot of Italy. So mm-hmm. look on your mm-hmm. map. Look on your Google Earth. And Google Earth still works on that. So, Rocco, thanks again. <laughs> and if you are listening from around the world, drop us a line. Let us know. We've had listeners yeah, cool. from everywhere, which is pretty awesome It's to hear. really fun. So thank you, guys. If you park outside during cold months, overnight, at home, or at work, you need a car cover from Covercraft. We specifically recommend the Custom Weather Shield HP Car Cover. It's designed for dramatic water dispersion while still being breathable and super lightweight. It's also got superior paint finish protection, too. On the underside, it's less abrasive than flannel. Our cars are an investment. From our personal fun cars and SUVs to our cheap sports cars, Covercraft is focused on protecting all of them. And whatever car, SUV, or truck you love, they want to protect that too. When you're shopping at Covercraft.com, be sure to use the code EVERYDAY to get a 10% discount, and it also ships for free. Follow the link from our sponsors page or go directly to Covercraft.com for high-quality covers that keep your car protected and looking its best. We've got an incredible, interesting couple of debates here. We are diving into these two debates. Tony G in Maryland is asking for an adventure vehicle for (laughs) $5,000. Sure. I am excited. I think I have your answer. Okay. And then we've also got Thomas W. in Fort Collins, Colorado, my hometown where I grew up. And he's looking for something, maybe trade in the Mazda Speed, but we'll see. He's looking also for something that tows. So this is all about off-roading it is. and four-wheel drive yes. and towing, which is something you and I don't cover that much. That's because, true. Because, you know, we want to be on asphalt. We want to be going fast and yep. doing the driving, driving enthusiast thing. But I like these because they do cover this, and it got me thinking differently. That's mm, great stuff. And I'm excited about this. It's great stuff. Let's jump right in. Tony G is in Maryland. He says he's 26. His first car in high school was a beige 1996 Camry. They lovingly called the Manry. Oh, gosh. Really? The Manry? Really? Yeah, you want to take the Manry? <laughs> oh, yeah. Let's take the Toyota Manry. No. <laughs> all bad. <laughs> all bad. He said it was Whoa. terrible, by the way. It had a broken door handles and window actuators and locks. And it was his description, his word now, it was reliable-ish. <laughs> reliable-ish. Reliable-ish. I mean, you know, you can see, you, I think that's... You know, reliable cars aren't too far away from this, but this is not reliable. That's what I read into that. That's pretty Camrys great. should just be reliable. They should. That, that's supposed to be the number one uh. thing they had going for them. Is it's just, they just run. His wasn't even reliable. It was reliable-ish. Well, it made, made a lot of great memories, he says. He learned how to work on and maintain a car, which is very important. That's great. We all have those cars in our lives that were reliable-ish and then forced us to work on them. Yes. After graduating college in 2015 with an engineering degree, Tony engineering degree, he bought a 2011 Volkswagen GTI, learned to drive manual, followed his dad's footsteps in falling in love with cars. Very cool. He says since buying the car, he slowly learned more about wrenching and he's tackled bigger projects, and he was able to tackle that dreaded timing system replacement. Hmm. The early VW 2.0 TSI had a chain tensioner prone to failing and then an interference engine. It's letting the pistons come into contact with the valves. That's Bad news. considered an interference engine. They interfere with each other. He replaced the clutch with an upgraded unit, but since then he's done a load of fun stuff, including a turbo upgrade, a full exhaust, coilovers, suspension bushings, 
I love it. On and on and on and on. Yeah, it's a big list. Which makes him comfortable working on cars. He's got a great space to do it in his dad's garage. That's cool. Now, his dad's car history includes a 2017 GTI manual, an 07 Civic. Now the backup car, a Plymouth Laser. A Plymouth Laser? Plymouth Laser, yeah. When's the last time you even put those words together? Yeah. Wow, it's been a while. He says manual transmission and a 1980s Toyota Hilux pickup, also manual. Gone, but probably still running somewhere. That's <laughs> oh, really what's up with the Hilux pickup. Because they're reliable-ish. They, they are reliable-ish. They're more than reliable-ish. They just, they just run. It's a good word. I love words like manufacturabilization. <laughs> you just put a bunch of <laughs> somebody prefixes just, and suffixes Somebody together just had extra syllables available. Just, just, let's just keep stacking them on out. there. We'll use them like Lego. It'll be great. <laughs> All right. Well, the GTI is great, he says. We'll be staying with him for a long time, but it's not great for hauling friends and gear on outdoor trips that he enjoys. Mountain biking, backpacking, hiking, camping. So he's been toying with this idea of getting a bigger, more rugged vehicle as a tool for the job. His dad lives close by and recently expressed interest in a four-wheel drive vehicle. For the few road trips per year, he says, to local drive-on beaches. So now they're looking at splitting the cost of an adventure vehicle. Okay. So here's what I find odd about this. There's great stuff in here, but here's what I find odd. He and his dad are splitting the cost of an adventure vehicle. (laughs) But in spite of splitting... <laughs> You're going to have to have a sign-up sheet, guys. The grand total budget is still five grand. $5,000. This isn't five grand each. There's a parenthesis here. He says, mm-hmm. pay attention, Paul. And I am. You got my attention here. He says they're totally okay with getting a car that can use some mechanical TLC. And at $5,000, I guarantee it yeah, will. Yeah, it's going to need... Which brings up the secondary question of how much money and time are you willing to put into said $5,000 car a to make lot, it run? apparently. Because you may double that budget. Which brings up... Sorry, I have to go here. It brings up the reality of, should you both put in five grand to get a $10,000 something that requires less effort and cost and time? You're going to okay, have to figure that out okay. for yourself, Tony. But Because I, I, I stayed within the parameters here, but I do ask that question. If you buy a $5,000 adventure vehicle and you guys spend four or five grand in the next few months working on it to get it up to hey well, that's I, what i'm I, thinking hey, i'm I assuming that now. actually i'm yes. think, i'm looking at the five grand as the cost of the vehicle yes there is no mention of the dollars spent that will be buying stuff for it and this is my question for you and your dad tony is is there the trade-off of sh- we should have just bought something that was 10 grand i i i've stayed within the rules but that's <laughs> always my question with a five thousand dollar vehicle is what's it really going to cost you because if you spend five grand on this car in the first six months you bought a ten thousand dollar car yeah but i'm talking about things like winches and shocks and i yes a, a big jack and lights and all that well, kind but, of stuff that you're going to you, do your but you know vehicle. whatever you buy they're going to need fluids including diff fluids you're yeah need all the fluids transmission diffs everything it's going to have to be tires it's probably going to need brakes i've spent a battery i've spent two or three grand that i haven't even tried yeah. hard yet but he doesn't. He doesn't. Say I know that. he does. But I, I'm not counting that in the five grand. I'm just. Saying, I agree, guys. Hmm. Okay. Keep going. I agree. Well, there. The list of their desires. He says four wheel drive is a must. Mm-hmm. It's got got to have to do the light off roading thing, like rough fire roads to get to the trailheads, and of course the beach. It's got to fit four people and camping gear for a weekend. Okay. A big open cargo area for throwing camping gear. <laughs> okay. He does love the side of a love the idea of a side hinged rear door, and the ability to comfortably drive a few hours on highways to get to the mountains. Define comfortably. I'm sorry. <laughs> he doesn't, but it's I'm just similar thinking to reliable-ish. <laughs> it is. It's very you related. You get it. Yeah. 
Strongly prefer a manual transmission. I think you might have to die to that one, but we'll see. Power, he's not asking for much here, just enough to get out of its own way and drive on steep mountain roads. Okay. Exterior condition is not important. He says this is a functional vehicle. But the interior should be a decent place to be for multiple hour drives to and from the mountains. doesn't have to be fancy or have technology. And the gas mileage doesn't matter, he says. This yeah. will be driven infrequently. <laughs> so when you're planning for a trip, okay, you're budgeting you're just for the burn gas. gas. And yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. He does go on to say what you're talking about here, Todd. Yeah. Any vehicle they do purchase will be gone through thoroughly. They will do the full initial service mm-hmm, themselves mm-hmm. and fluids and spark plugs and filters, in addition to doing the worn susp- suspension bits. That's going to be thousands. I, I got to bring it up. It's going to be thousands Maybe. by the time you're sure, done. Sure, sure. But I do imagine they're going to budget for that. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds like they are, which is fine. I like that. The vehicles they have considered start with a third generation Mitsubishi Montero. 01 to 06. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He says this is nearly perfect, but it's a bummer that Mitsubishi didn't bring the manual transmission to the U.S. for the third generation. They're also rare, so they don't come up often for sale, which makes finding a second generation with the manual transmission almost impossible. Yeah. The next car is the first generation Lexus GX470. He says budget is a little low for these. They're automatics only. But should they be looking at 90s forerunners or land cruisers? Tony loves quirky cars and wishes those FJ cruisers were older so they come down in price. But they've also considered another quirky vehicle. The Mitsubishi Delica. The late 80s and 90s Delica. He said they're pricey as imports. Mm-hmm. But what's what should he be looking at? And I'm excited because I think I found it. Are you? Good. Yeah. I'm glad to hear it. I've got a few that I want to bring up, but I, but I want to circle back. First off, Tony, I, I always find it fascinating when I'm reading one of these car debates, and I think of something random. Okay. Because uh, I'm reading real time. Think, something spikes. I'm like, you know what? You know what would be good for them? And then a few paragraphs later, the person brings it up. <laughs> I was reading down this, and I thought, you know what's actually this cheap and could possibly work? And I hadn't thought of this car in forever. The Mitsubishi Montero. Did you actually Absolutely, think of that? Our friend in Park City, Chris, oh, yeah. Chris true. has one. True. And he, he has rebuilt more things on this car than it will ever be worth. And he's done it because it is the one car. They, look, they've owned Lexus. They've owned Mercedes. They've owned Porsche. They have yeah, owned yeah. all kinds of things most of which have run pretty well. In spite of that, the Montero is the thing that always runs. But then when something breaks, he realizes to fix it is always more expensive than the car's worth. And then, inexplicably, my friend Chris does it anyway. (laughs) So he's got whole new running gear in that thing, which means it is bomb-proof. He's taken me to the airport in that thing. Have, oh, really? Yeah. That's more than I, I've been I in, I needed actually. a ride, That's and he funny. picked me up in that thing, and it was just so rough, but it, it is, ran. It is bomb-proof <laughs> at this it point. Is, and so it's so funny. I was reading through this, and Tony's talking about his low budget and what his needs were, and I was like, you know what? The Montero is random. It might work here. And then two paragraphs later, you bring up the Montero. I want to back you up on that. I think it is a wow. worthwhile consideration. I okay, do like it. Okay. I have other thoughts, but i got to back you on the Montero, man. That's cool. Tony, I think the audience and myself is starting in their head at Jeep Wranglers or Land Cruisers. Yeah. But both can be expensive. I feel like Wranglers are the obvious starting point here. Mm-hmm. And there is a huge community for doing so. And you can find them for five grand. Mm-hmm. But you're going to be building them up into the thing you want. Yeah. But I don't think that's the car you need. I don't think that's going to be the comfortable road trip getting to the mountains. And I, It'll do its thing in the mountains. Yes. But the getting there is the problem. 
True. I also don't think that you're going to get a Land Cruiser for five grand. You're not. That is yeah. why I, I started there and I thought, okay, that's the obvious. Let's just yeah. mention yeah, it, yeah, get yeah, it out of the way. I actually started, Tony, with a 1978 Jeep J20 Gladiator. That is the Jeep Cherokee or Jeep Wagoneer pickup truck. Okay. Many people have done their Overland builds with those Mm, things because it's a cheap starting place. You Mm. can throw whatever V8 in them. You can build them up and they're just inexpensive. Hmm. But the problem is it's a pickup. It's the two-door. Yeah. And I like it, and it looks cool, but it yeah, isn't the okay. right one. All right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, keep going. So here it is, Tony. I found you many first-generation 1995 to 1999 Chevy Tahoe two-door with the Z71 oh. off-road package. Oh, wow. That off-road suspension, or the Z71 package, included 46-millimeter twin-tube high-pressure gas-charged shocks. You've been reading the marketing material. Bravo. Absolutely. It has a skid plate package with a frame-mounted shield. The GM Segment exclusive automatic locking rear diff. (laughs) And the Z71 appearance package with 18-inch aluminum wheels, body-colored mirrors, and door handles, and a body-colored grille with chrome inserts. I think it came with Rancho shocks, but some of them that I saw had Bilsteins, but it kind of depends on which one. Usually car manufacturers will spec multiple suppliers for their needs, just simply as a defense against suppliers not having product to supply or going out of business or whatever that is. That's yeah. why you'll find Caymans with Goodyear's and Michelin's. And yeah. it, it, it doesn't matter what shocks came on it. They're going to replace it really them doesn't. anyway. Yeah. So they're going to replace that. But yes, those are still cheap. They haven't gone mm. through the roof like Land Cruisers. And that Z71 off-road package actually was the difference. And that's why you bought it. People are actually putting the stickers of the mm. Z71 package on their trucks, trying to pass it off and make more money because it's a Z71. But you got to be careful mm. when you're buying and make sure it is a genuine from the factory Z71 package. Of course, you're going to be doing stuff to it. Yeah. But I always liked the two-door version the of two-door the two-door Tahoe Tahoes are cool because They're it reminded cool. me of a modern Blazer. Yeah, the K5 yeah, yeah, Blazer for sure. Yeah, yeah. And you can do stuff to it. It mm-hmm, can mm-hmm. take four people. Now it's not as spacious as the Ford or Tahoe, which you true. could consider. True, true. Yeah. They actually were available. Some of them did have manual transmissions. That would be a find, you, but you're it right. It would be yeah, a yeah, yeah, tough yeah. slog yeah, to yeah. go find one of those. But generally speaking, the one you want is that two door, the late '90s two door mm. Tahoe. I love that thing. That's cool. Speaking of 90s stuff, I have to bring this up, Tony. You mentioned the 90s Forerunner. I actually always thought those were cool, but they don't have much space. No, I don't know the they last don't. time you've been in they a don't. 90s Forerunner. I don't know how seriously you've looked at them, Tony, but I don't think, I don't think they're going to have enough space for what you want to do. I, I'm a little mm-hmm, concerned about mm-hmm. it. I almost feel like a two-door Wrangler has as much space as a four older Forerunner. I mean, they just weren't spacious. The so, floors were uh, the the, I, the distance for your shins for your lower yeah. legs. They were they were too short. The packaging was too short. Yeah. So I, I wonder. I don't think that's in there. I'll, by the way, I, I want to step to the side real quick. I forgot to make this note, Tony. You mentioned. In your email right up front that you've been listening to the podcast a long time and you've just recently, like very recently, started watching our videos. And you had, I'm very sorry, I'm apologizing on behalf of both of us. You had that shock that happens when you've only heard voices. And we all do this. You hear a voice and you subconsciously build that person's approximate face in your head. And then you see that person and you go, that's not what I thought. 
you had that that's terrible funny. shock recently, so that's I'm sorry, funny. Tony. I'm glad. Hopefully, that's settling in, and, and you now understand what our faces look like. This is our face, man. I'm sorry. That's that's as good as it works. Here's my face. Um, yes, here's here's my face. Uh, so anyway, I've got a couple others I want to bring up here. I, I glad, I'm glad you brought up the old jeeps because yeah, that's an obvious one. I've got two. Okay. The first one is kind of kidding, and the <laughs> second one I think may be your answer. Okay. The kind of kidding one is I have to bring it up. The Isuzu Viacross. Oh, gosh. Come I've, on. I've blocked that thing out of my memory. I know you have. I have not. Oh, I forget about those things. The Isuzu Viacross. Those are not comfortable. That's not kind of kidding. That's, <laughs> I hate you. It Here's did, a Viacross. It did, it did make me think one. about, have you looked into the old Isuzus? Because some of those were surprisingly good. Okay, now you're going to have some The answer parts is issues. no, I haven't looked into them. <laughs> nope. Have some parts scoop issues. Scoop and nope for you. They do yeah, have big scoop and nope. <laughs> they do have the, the side opening doors, which you like. I had a buddy in college that went, I had a couple of different Isuzus, and they were great. Granted, this was a long time ago when Isuzus were close to new. They're not new now. Right. So, so keep that in mind. But the one that I actually wonder if it might be your answer is the Nissan Xterra. Okay, okay. It's the same era as the FJ Cruiser from Toyota, which, by the way, is not only out of your budget, but something nobody says about the FJ Cruiser, it's a cave. It has genuinely some of the worst visibility of any <laughs> modern vehicle I've been in, and that's saying something. It, honestly, the visibility is terrible in that yeah, truck. Yeah, it's, it's not really too good. And, I agree. And I, I agree. always wonder about it. When, I mean, we've seen them at Moab. We've seen people They crawl really around at Moab and they do great. everywhere. But yeah. I just think about the fact yeah. that they're hard to see out of. And they're hard to use the space that's there because of the way they're designed. I think that's a real surprise. The Xterra... What Todd's saying is, run away! The Xterra is cheap. You can get all kinds of those for your budget. Is that the yellow one? They painted the 4x4 in yellow? You can get it in yellow, but you can also get it in a all kinds of other colors. 4 drive in yellow. You can get all kinds of other colors. Well, I like that the was... Lotus in yellow. I like some Ferraris well, but, in yellow. But they were but thinking... Yellow? They were thinking... Really? It's, it's the Baywatch effect. It was the California lifeguard uh, thing. That's kind of what they were thinking. So that's why I it was forgot yellow. about that, But too. it came in all kinds of other colors. The Xterra I'm not has... a real 4x4, but I play one on TV. <laughs> I'm not a real lifeguard, but I play one on TV. <laughs> exactly. I can run. Look at me. Anyway. <laughs> the um, snark has been here all week. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's all bad. But but I think the Xterra... Look, there's a lot, of, a lot of them were made, which means they're cheap now. They have a... A rabid fan base. You Doesn't that mean the price parts. is going to go up, though? No, I, I think they have a rabid niche fan base. I've known a couple people that have had a couple in a row. Like they bought one, and when that one were out, they went and bought another one. Okay, like the Montero crowd. Exactly. So I think you aren't looking at the Nissan Xterra, and you should now. That now Nissan does a, a trim they call the Pro 4X. That is their really heavy-duty off-road That's version. The, we're serious about this package. Seriously. So the, the Pro 4X ones, they might be out of your budget, but Xterra's in general probably would be, and I think you could build that kind of like Legos into whatever you wanted. Hmm. Plus, they're going to be doing stuff to it. They're going to be buying winches yes, and they are. They're gonna make it tools anyway. and lights and stuff. So and I thumbing think the Xterra the is a, is a worthwhile catalog. thing. Unfortunately, it's not going to be a Parts manual, catalog. but uh, Nissan Xterra would be a good answer here. Hmm. Tony, you've got some driving and choosing to do because part of your equation most definitely is the on-road experience for this thing. It's got to do the fire roads, like you said, but it's got to do the on-road thing, too. So I do think the test drive and going to look for these is, is very crucial. I'm curious as to what you get. Keep us posted. Write your car conclusions, your Topic Tuesdays, and your car debates like this to us, everydrivertv at gmail.com or on the website 
top right corner under the about tab is the contact button it syndicates mm-hmm. to the same place yep. and you can find our test drive channel under youtube so the second tab over says youtube if you click that you'll be presented with two choices mm-hmm. and you can find our test drive channel which is growing thank you guys please subscribe please use that for drive homework when yep. you're searching yeah, yeah. and you're shopping because those are single car reviews that Todd and I have gotten from the manufacturers, and we're evaluating. Do we like it? Do we want to live with it? It's yeah, both of yeah. us in-car versus the main channel, which will be continual older TV episodes, the cheap car sports, sports the car challenge. The cheap car challenge that will all and, be there for sure. Know, yeah, a yeah. few other fun things, too. We're throwing down some other Comparos for sure. It's going to be a lot of fun going on there. You've heard us talk about drive homework because it's vital to drive a lot of things when you're trying to find your next car. Knowing your options is incredibly important. And this applies to online shopping, too. You don't want to search just one website unless that site is searching all the other ones for you. That's why we love Auto Tempest. We know you've heard us talk about it before, and we hope you've already seen how far you can shop with just one search. Auto Tempest pulls from all the top used car sites at once, so you know you won't miss that ideal car. Autotempest.com. All the cars, one search. I should say happy Friday to all of you. Thanks for listening. Obviously, we are, we are out of town. We're not in the studio. You can tell that. I realize we come out of the ads. You can really tell that again. We're actually having a really good trip. We're shooting like crazy. Yeah. And yeah. we're very excited. We're also laughing this week, side note, because we happen to be in California. And we got here right about the time it started dumping winter snow in Park <laughs> City. And I think they've gotten almost a foot while we've been here that much? in T-shirts. Ooh. Yeah, we have so been, we've been well, laughing about quite, that. But, yes. but uh, anyway, speaking of that, Thomas has moved to Fort Collins, Colorado, and that has changed his car needs. He's thanking us because we helped. I'm putting help in quotes there. I don't know that we helped, but as a result of us, <laughs> he define his, help. He and his wife did a lot of drive homework, but they ended up with a 2018 Volkswagen Alltrack. That is their family car. They thought it was a great choice for them. They have a new daughter, so that's very cool. But they've just moved. To your hometown, Paul, of Fort Collins, Colorado. Yes. Are you guys opening a microbrewery in Fort Collins? Because <laughs> apparently, apparently that's where they all are. That's huh? what you do when you go there. <laughs> so they moved there about a year ago from the great driving roads of the Ozarks in northwest Arkansas, any, where any way to work would entail plenty of twisties, he says. Thomas's new commute is flat and boring, 40 to 120 miles round trip wow. commute. Wow. I wonder if okay. you're doing Interstate 25 to Denver and back or that Longmont or Loveland. Unfun. Forcing him to choose his route by how many roundabouts he can detour to. <laughs> okay. All righty. All right. We're choosing our route by roundabouts. That's as close as he can get to a corner, apparently, yeah. <laughs> Except, have you seen some where they put stop signs? At least there's some in California. There's a stop sign promptly followed by a roundabout yes it's so confusing that is that well that that just proves that a nobody understands how to use a roundabout and b we don't want to bother to teach them so we're just yeah. going to put a stop sign in and confuse this the, uh, they're they're putting in more roundabouts in our area in park I city know. and it's fascinating to see how many people are completely stymied by a roundabout they're like a cow standing on astroturf they are confused <laughs> confused <laughs> all right his current daily is an 09 mazda speed 3 with proper winter and summer tires Good. that hasn't had an issue in any weather condition. But he says the car isn't the nicest place to be. It's had its fair share of miles, but it's proven to be quite useful and fun. But Good. he says the future cost of repairs, a lack of more modern amenities, and not many chances to enjoy it properly makes him question a trade-in and sale. Okay. By the All way, right. as soon as you start questioning that, sold, it's gone. Just <laughs> Paul's ready for you to just hand the pink slip Bye-bye. to somebody. Launch Get it something into else. Space. That's funny. 
He says also Colorado has made his wife and he wanting to spend even more time outdoors. Good. And he'd like something a little larger that could haul a small pop-up camper with room for bicycles. Okay. All right. Even more important since moving to Colorado is that he's got access to three tracks and weekly autocross events within a couple hours. Oh, cool. He said what he really needs is something that can tow not only the family and a camper, but his weekend fun toy to the track. Okay. He recently swapped out his C5 Z06 for a year 2000 Honda S2000. Like it. For HPD events and more autocross. He's autocrossed many cars in a few years, but he's fully hooked to track days now, he says. So what kind of vehicle could he consider to haul the toys Mm -hmm. and also double as the daily driver? And, yeah, and be the camping car. I mean, we're doing a lot Mm -hmm. of things at once. Now, here's here's where it really comes down to, and that is price. Always does. He says he's got ten dollars to $12,000 if he keeps the Mazda speed. But because he's already opened the door and said, maybe I should sell this, if he does sell the Mazda speed, we've got between seventeen dollars and $20,000 to find something that, based on his listing, has to tow at least 5,000 pounds. It can't be a miserable place to be for a long commute. <laughs> Turbo would be nice, but not required. We shopped for a miserable car for you. We found miserable. Yeah, we, we could do that. Uh, no Go to Mitsubishi scary... Montero. <laughs> no scary short-term repairs. Super capable. Capable for light off-roading because he's hoping that that will be something they do more of. But also he needs to haul that tow, uh, tow that other fun car around. But it would be nice if this were decent to drive. And then bonus points if it's a manual. Eh, unrealistic. Yeah, I, I didn't find a, a manual. But that's because the nature of towing. Sure. Unless you're getting a Cayenne GTS with a manual. Yes. However, he's been thinking about a Touareg, Touareg, or a TDI, T, says TDI, or hybrid. Yeah. A BMW X535 or D, or the X5 X6M, if he sells a kidney. Yeah, don't sell the kidney, you'll need it later. As a matter of fact, he's been looking at that second generation Nissan Xterra. He says they are very cheap. I want to mention that I hadn't, I put the Xterra prior. Sure. And then, no, I did. And then sure I read this didn't. email, I was like, and that was the Xterra I've been mentioned. Sure. Anyway, this is how it happens. <laughs> we could start with Forerunners primarily. Or you could start with Ford Expeditions. Mm-hmm. The Forerunner will do the thing you want for the most part, but the towing capacity isn't there. On the other hand, the Expedition towing capacity is there. That camper will snap like a whip in behind that thing. And it's very comfortable, but it's too big. Mm. So, despite the elephant in the room being the Porsche Cayenne, which I do think you should really consider for your budget... Of $20,000 after you sell the Mazda Speed, because again, if you even hint of selling and trading or getting rid of your car, it's already sold, in my mind. So he says seventeen dollars to $20,000 after selling the Mazda Speed, I do think you should start looking at Cayennes. That, it's funny because... made for what you're asking that's for. That's exactly what he's asking for. It's good, And it was my number one thing. First-gen Cayenne with a manual. You can get a base Cayenne with a manual, just like that's you can true. get a GTS with that's a Cayenne. True. I'll go you one will further. It, will it do 5,000 pounds, though, with yes. the manual? Yes. I'll okay, go good. You, I'll go you good, one good, further. Good. Unless I've mislooked at it, maybe I'm misremembering. I'll look it up again. But the other thing about it, Thomas, is they're hard to find, but early second-gen base Cayennes were also available in the manual. Oh, that's right. Like the 2011-2012s, I've seen those in base form with a manual as well. I guess, is that second generation or 
third. Eleven is second gen. It is because here's the thing. Remember, the first gen gets chopped in half. I have I have the point two of the first gen, but the, but it's and extra nothing confusing. in 07. It's extra confusing because they didn't make them in 07. So right. 03 to 06 right. is the point ones. They were so bad for reliability they didn't make them in 07. 08, 09, and 10 is the second part of Gen One. That's where mine comes from. 2011 is the second gen, and there are some out there with the manual. That thing's going to be great when you just have to drive somewhere. And I say it to my wife all the time because I don't drive her Cayenne a lot, but every time I'm in it, especially when we road trip, I always look at her like 50 miles in and think, this is great. She goes, I know. It's just it's, <laughs> it's just great. nice to be. We have almost 140,000 miles on ours. And yours is a 2010, right? Yes. Yeah. We have almost 140,000 cool. miles on ours. It is a great road trip car. It is very solid in the corners. I can't say enough nice things about it, but it still will do off-road stuff. Absolutely, the first will. gens Absolutely were actually over designed for off road. I mean, the, the later gens can, but the first gens were kind of over designed for that. They you were a little bit more focused on that because it was the SUV from Porsche. Yes. It was the first thing out of the gate for them. And yes, yes. They were hyper focused about doing both correctly, even though, yeah. as it turns out, most people don't off road their Cayennes. So yeah. they're kind of going, <laughs> all right, fine. But uh, I agree with that. Cayenne is my number one choice for you. But if you're looking around and you want an option, like getting a second opinion from a doctor, (laughs) there is the new Honda Passport, which does pass your 5,000-pound towing test. Interesting. So this is, I'm refining here, this is the pilot missing two seats. Correct. Yes. Shortened, yes. Missing the very back third row. Pretty much. That Passport is not compelling to drive. It's bland from an SUV standpoint, but it's a lot newer in the price range you're looking for. And so, Mm. therefore, it will have more tech. It will probably have a warranty. It can do 5,000 pounds. And from a reliability and maintenance standpoint, it might be more tempting for you to consider it. Mm, That's why it's a second opinion, even though I love the Cayennes. I'm pointing to to Cayenne land and go there first. But then the Passport is surprising because you look at all the other SUVs of that size in this category, very few, if not the Passport being the only one, tow 5,000 pounds. Mm-hmm. You look at Forerunners and other new Nissans and, you know, the Kia Telluride will, but it's out of your price point. And it's a lot bigger, yeah. It's a lot bigger as well. That's why I suggested the Expedition. Okay. all right. But it's too big. It's a it's super monster. Big, yeah. It's great for road trips, but you don't need something that big. So therefore, you have to step down, and mm-hmm. then that's where the balance comes in. That's why the Cayenne does those things so well. That's why it's such a juicy choice. But the Passport is an interesting second opinion. Now, new, they start at $32,000, but maybe a year or two old, you could find something. You'll pay a little bit more. I'm pushing on your budget, of course. But <laughs> again, it's yeah. nowhere near the driving experience of the Cayenne. They do not come in manual. They're nine true. speeds. True, true, yeah, yeah. And it's a shift by wire. Yeah. And it's maybe a little bit more bland. It's not set up for an enthusiast driving, but I it suppose, does a good job otherwise, yeah. Now that I've brought that up, I suppose you could look at ridge lines, maybe, because it's got that kind of yeah. interior, more space, and it's more pickup-y, and, but it's still got a good ride to it. But I don't. I I think for where he is, he's actually wanting the enclosed back. I, yeah, I probably see that, so. Yeah. Anyway, something to consider. Let us know, Thomas. Thomas, what other else you things got? to ponder here. I do think you should sell the Mazda Mazda Speed Three. <laughs> you can take the. I'm extra thinking about money. selling the gone. Goodbye <laughs> and goodbye. Sold. I, I think other things to po- ponder here. Consider pop up tents. 
that go on the roof of your SUV. Now you have to be concerned about what is the amount of weight that the roof rails can handle, but sometimes yeah. those pop-up tents can be cool. If you sell your Mazda Speed 3, I'm just thinking out loud here. Maybe, Don't you have to drive a Safari 911 with a pop-up tent to be to qualify for the pop-up tent? On no, the roof? They're, they're actually good for SUVs as well. They are? You could do a pop-up tent on huh. top of your SUV, and then you could have a, a tow trailer for your, your car and possibly do both of the above. Now you can go on road trips, sleep in the pop-up tent, and go to racetracks. I'm just thinking of, of crazy <laughs> ideas here. You also, you did mention you could pull a, a small pop-up camper, and that can be pretty great. Those actually can sometimes be very off-road capable themselves. Let us know where you wind up here, because you're, you're practically overlanding and we're helping, which is weird. I really like the visual of the Cayenne towing your Honda S2000 to the track. I like that, too. I, I yes. really do like that. Cayennes we, are... Uh, here's the thing. We've been at some track days where <laughs> the guy shows up in his... I just We shake our heads. The Cayenne <laughs> Turbo towing his GT3, and we just think, are you Porsche-sponsored? <laughs> what is going on? Does the trailer say Porsche too? Because it probably does. And the thought going through my head is, life goals. Yeah, I know it the is. The end. We don't get too many drift questions. Drifting oh, I questions. saw this. This is a good one. But there is one from CKRU1980 who mm-hmm. says his soon-to-be 16-year-old son is convinced that drifting is the only cool thing cars can do. <laughs> okay. All right, all right, all right. He says, do I feed this monster by trying to convince the Minister of Finance that he and I need to go to drifting school, meaning he and his son? Mm-hmm. Or how does he go about steering his enthusiasm towards something he can actually teach him? This is great. Wow. I really like this. Rarely do we get questions like this, which Mm -hmm. is great. And I love that he's interested in it. And in no way should you squash that desire. Mm -hmm. In no way should you say, nah, it's not really cool. Let me show you other things. I do think you should nurture it. I do think he needs to find out. I do believe that he needs to go to drifting school. Because if you squash and you try to convince him other things, that will come. But it's along the lines of what you have talked about, is never teach your spouse to ski. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't be teaching him that drifting thing. Or I'm not saying you can't teach him anything. There are many skills. I I know that you can teach him. But I think he needs to... He's so into it and so open to it. And being 16, he is a blank canvas. He Mm. can be taught to drive. And if you're taught stunt driving and drifting early... You're taught car control. You're taught about tires at this point. And then you understand grip, and then you understand what it's like to be out of control. You're in control, but you're out of control, and you're right on that edge. I only think it can be a good thing from a car control standpoint that most 16-year-olds have no idea what that is. I didn't Mm -hmm. have it. I Mm -hmm. I had no idea what that feeling was like until later in life, and it's a discovery. Because then when he knows that car control, I think that will translate to street driving and he will instantly be on the road to being a better driver. I agree with you. I want to add to it, but I agree with you. I think the interesting thing about it is drifting requires car control. Mm-hmm. And it requires mm-hmm. you to get past the thing that is, a, that is a reality of most drivers, but certainly early drivers. And that is when anything unexpected happens, you panic. Right. Drifting right. by its nature is disrupt the car. Right. right. Now be calm, do what you need to, and drive it out. 
Watch our drifting yes, piece. And, yes. And look, in our drifting piece, people have asked before, I have a lot of trouble with it for a while, and then it finally clicks. And I've driven a lot of stuff, but I had a tough day at our drift school. So I think drifting school will be fascinating for both of you because I think you will be challenged as a parent and a, Thank and, you. And a driver. Thank and I you. think your son will, will be intrigued by the car control that I think will carry him forward. However, however, I think you then, or possibly before, but you need to go autocrossing. Agreed. Because Agreed. At some you need point, to take your son point. autocrossing because yeah. cars are mostly designed at this point. They're so good that in normal speeds and normal situations, they can easily be considered boring. And sure. what's interesting about autocross, especially with your 16-year-old who doesn't think anything could be interesting other than drifting, is that now you're going slowly, but all kinds of interesting stuff is happening to the car that you never feel otherwise. So I think there's two things here. I think you should take him autocrossing. The order is irrelevant. I do think both of you would be fascinated by a drifting school. And maybe there's a high-performance driving school in here somewhere. I don't know budgets. I don't know realities. I'm just thinking out loud. But car control and cars at the edge of what they can do, that's what makes cars interesting. And learning tires and understanding yeah. what modern yeah. tires can and cannot do. Mm-hmm. And f- making, you know, experiencing that, feeling. And then if you and he both go, you can talk the same language. Yeah, that's good too. You can like both that. understand. You can say, well, yeah, through that corner, here's what it feels like. And you go, I know. That's an amazing feeling. What a different feeling. And how can we apply that to street driving? How can we both be better drivers? And you might just like it yourself. CKRU, you might just that's fun. end up liking it. You never know. Paul Cavanaugh has been listening to the podcast for a long time. We've seen his name on many questions, but he's saying he's just posting a theory. It's kind of a little bit of a poke. He says, <laughs> I've been listening to your podcast for years. If I never end up buying a sports car, is that a failure on his part or on ours, Paul? Have we failed or has he failed? He never buys a sports car. Paul, I love mm. this. I know mm. mostly that you're teasing. Yeah, I know yeah, that you yeah. are. However, I want to respond to this a little bit further. I think, I don't think it's a failure on either side. Look at me getting out of it. No, because <laughs> if, you, if you have a vehicle... You get a gold star, you get a gold everyone's star. Everyone's a winner Yay. on the everyday driver car debate. No, that's not true. Gag. First off... The number one thing we're going for is not that everyone have a sports car, but it's whatever car you have, you genuinely love it. Indeed. Okay? And that can be your seven-seater for the entire family, but you love it. It's yep. it, You can't believe how cool it is. That's what we want. So if you don't get a sports car, that's fine. However, Paul, I will say as the flip side to this, everyone listening, you, Paul, and everyone else listening, if you never own a sports car, I do think you've missed out on a worthwhile life experience that is slowly being kind of worked out of society because we're all buying SUVs. Right, I think there is right. an interesting life experience there. Even if, Look at these cheap sports cars we just bought. But buy a cheap sports car and have it for a year just to say you did it. Yeah. Plan yeah. a couple of cool trips with it. Just do that to say, I did this and I, and I know what it's about. And I think you'd have life experiences that you'll look back on and be like, I'm really glad I did that. And to your point, go do stuff with that car. Because yeah. you'll, you'll see it as a waste of money if you go buy the sports car and you do the same things you've always done with cars. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Go invent your own challenges. Go drifting. Go sliding. Go 
road tripping, go do yeah. the other stuff with the car that you would have never otherwise done, mm-hmm. and go feel that, go experience that. Go have an experience with the car, be worthwhile for sure. There's a couple of questions here that tie into both these conversations. First of all, from Fat Ferret, who asks, have you ever lusted over a non-enthusiast car? Mm. The new A220 has him hooked here, he says. Yeah, absolutely, all the time. I see, mostly for me, it's either giant SUVs or... You know, the lifted trucks or whatever. Yeah, you look at the weird guys. Yeah, 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 for sure. Or it's the luxury sedans, the the super high-end, the S-classes, you know, that kind of thing. Yes, I do. And it's a weird part of me that wants it for some reason. I think, oh, I just love that. It's not an enthusiast car, but who cares? And the second question is, MD Schwering says, given a two-car situation... Okay. Would we prefer to have a powerful daily, like a sedan or SUV, mm. and a less powerful sports car, or the other way around? You have touched on something, MD Schwering, that we have just discovered and discussed driving the Mercedes-Benz AMG GLS 63 that You're cost $153,000. Right. It has 603 horsepower, almost 650 pound-feet <laughs> of torque, and it is faster than just about anything on the road. This is a seven-seat SUV yeah. that is enormous. Yeah. It is the biggest thing Mercedes-Benz makes, short of their Sprinter vans and trucks. But it is huge. It is unbelievably quick and fast. It's very expensive, and it outhandles and out-accelerates most sports cars. You're right. It's it astounding. Is, it is unbelievably capable. And I want it. The price tag is absurd, but go watch that test drive on our test drive channel because we get into a long discussion about this. Keep going, Paul. What we came up with is the trucks that roll on us because they're powerful off the line. They're not towing or hauling anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they've got a lot of torque, and they can take the Cayman, and they can take the Lotus. Absolutely, yes. And they'll kind of bully us off the road, which sucks, I'll be honest. But... They've got the power to do it. And there's so many SUVs that have the power to take the sports car off yeah, the line. Yeah. And in some cases, keep up with or outhandle those sports cars. Mm-hmm. But you're not having the same joy. You're not having the same feeling in your small, lightweight, fun car. It's not as tactile, for sure. Exactly. Yeah. So I think both Todd and I have arrived at the, let's go have SUVs, go have a 1,000 horsepower. Electric, gas, mm-hmm. Some combination of both, whatever that is, let the Lamborghini Uri, that's the plural Uri. of Uris. The plural of Uris it's not is Uris's. now Uri. Uri okay. is many Uris's. It's not Uri. Uris's no, 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 and no, no, no. Uri are both terrible. I don't care which way we go, they're both bad. The Ferrari SUVs, there's a Lotus SUV coming, all the Cayennes in the world, all the Bentegas that are blindingly fast. And the Cullinan that can probably out-accelerate most cars. Fine. Goodbye. Let them go. Because they need that power. They need to haul people, and they Mm -hmm. need to be able to get out of their own way. And as a large SUV, it should handle well. It shouldn't be this great, lumbering, terrible thing. It should handle well. It should kind of be interesting. Mm -hmm. Paying a lot of money. It's pretty fast. It should be able to hold the road well. But then over here, we're over here giggling and laughing and amazed at these low power sports cars that are visceral totally. and emotional totally well we let just that happen for tv we just drove a porsche speedster it's a replica but a porsche speedster less than 100 horsepower 1600 pounds right right that makes my lotus seem both 
too big and too powerful by comparison. <laughs> I mean, think about that for a second. But I also yeah. drove, yeah. following this thread, I also happened to drive this weekend, very briefly, but I also happened to drive an original Tesla Roadster. Interesting, yeah. So yeah. the this is the 8 inches longer Lotus chassis like I have, but it is the electric version, <laughs> Tesla's first car. A it thousand is a pounds. thousand pounds heavier, <laughs> but so much faster than my Lotus Elise could ever dream of being. The, the problem generally with more power, it almost always brings with it a lot more weight. Oh, I and thought you were going to say responsibility. No, no, that's that's a whole Spider-Man separate uh, thing. The, the, the reality of having more and more power is that it brings more and more weight with it. Yeah. And that almost always takes away involvement. It makes something feel really fast, but far less engaging. I would much rather have the family hauler be the big, powerful thing and give me my lightweight, involving analog sports car. I will take that all day long. Yeah, agreed. Crash Testa one is asking, what defines an enthusiast car? I think that is a wonderful question. We're going to save that for a topic Tuesday. That sounds like a good one. Thank you for asking. Jared Rose, one, have we ever considered a grand tour across the country for an extended feature film? Short answer, yes. We'll get back to that if we actually do it. Tom, Tony Salas says, what do we think the new changes to the BRZ, basically the 86 chassis, are going to be? They're hyping it a lot. We'll see, Tony. I mean, obviously that announcement is coming soon. And then here's the weird part. The announcement is coming soon. When's the car really coming? I don't care when they say it's coming. When is the car going to be available in dealers? I think it's at least a year out. A couple of things I want to say on that 86 chassis. I want to say it now before it gets announced. I don't want it to be turbo. Hmm. I don't want it to be turbo. I don't want it to be available all-wheel drive. I don't want it to be any. Th- uh, I don't want it to be available only as an automatic. Okay. The things that make the current 86 chassis, BRZ or FRS, really great are it's a naturally aspirated engine. Now, while I will agree that I would like a different slash better engine in that car, it has fantastic granular throttle response because it is naturally aspirated. A tiny movement of the pedal changes what the engine is doing in a way a turbo engine doesn't because the turbo mutes that. Maybe more powerful, but it mutes the connection to the throttle pedal. So there's that. It has a six-speed manual that is actually a great six-speed manual, and it's rear-wheel drive lightweight. Those are things I think are paramount to what makes that car good. If you've watched our Supra versus uh, 86 piece, I talk about in there that I think the 86 is Toyota's Miata. And if they take away the things I've just mentioned, I think they will ruin it. I'm really hoping that it stays naturally aspirated, rear-wheel drive, lightweight, six-speed. We'll see beyond that, because I just don't know. Spirit of Drive 11 says, Will the trend of aftermarket exhausts on pickup trucks ever end? Mm. He's never understood why it's a thing. It's a thing because you've made it yours, man. It's got the exhaust on it, and, and then you it's can, Are we talking about rolling, rolling coal? That, but That's also just the giant pipes and the noise and that kind of stuff. I yeah. don't think it will ever end, because... Pickup trucks are so ubiquitous. Mm-hmm. How do you make it yours? Mm-hmm. You got to spend money on wheels and accessories, and then you got to lift it high in the air and lights, or you drop it to the ground or whatever. Some people keep their cars, <laughs> their trucks, lights, but don't stuck. plug them into anything. Oh, that! That's I a hate great how idea. often I see yes. that, but that definitely happens. Yeah. Yes, agreed. Michael Henry asked a question about my book. I'm not going to go too far into this, but here's the bottom line: it is coming. He's asking about when it's ready. December is what I'm telling you right now. It is coming in the upcoming weeks. I just saw the book cover that I've actually signed off on this week. It got me kind of excited, I have to be honest. More news about that coming. We'll announce it on the podcast and talk about it in detail. Thanks for your interest. 
BMW has introduced something new. Oh, Yay. no. Are we going here? Many of you have asked. CJ Sun 86 yeah. and Dan and Patton have both asked thoughts on the BMW iX. Mm, I have thoughts. Specifically the front end. <laughs> it's ugly. Could it's this u- pos- It's ugly. That's the thought. It's ugly. Could this possibly be the worst corporate design look ever? And thoughts on the design from CJ Sun. I've been looking at this closely. I've looked at all the photos. Uh, it photos are tough because you're not you don't have the spatial relationship between you and the object to rely upon. You're mm. only looking at you're the right. lines and fair. the way the light falls on the lines, which is how car designers evaluate cars. And I can very much see the themes and the shapes. Mm. Take an individual shape on the car and you'll find it in BMW's past history within the last decade. Mm, mm. So they're using those relatable shapes, but they're using a lot of them. The new kidney grills, the new beaver teeth are not relatable. (laughs) That does not fall anywhere in the last decade. Overwhelming is the word I would go with, yes. It's like a cartoon character wearing lipstick or something. It's not good. (laughs) I really don't like that. But short of that, I was looking at the body side of this. There's interesting elements, and they're familiar. So you take some scoop and the shape and the way that form Mm -hmm. defines the intake. You'll find that on other BMWs. Okay. And here it is in a new proportion. Not a new way, but a new proportion. So you can see that familiar shape there. Okay, I see that front and rear. They have to use lighting now as the look for it. So nowadays, headlights and taillights don't really enclose or define the shape anymore like just say round headlights used to do okay when the lights are on and it's dark that is now what designers are looking at as defining the signature of that car that's why you have the signature led lighting Mm. on the front of cars Mm. now because Mm -hmm. that is now what defines it whereas we all used to look at the shape of the headlight is that face those are the eyes of the car Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. no longer is that It, it it is but now lighting has such a huge thing to do with that mm, whole design mm. process. So when the lights, when it's dark out and the lights are on, now evaluate that. It changes mm. your opinion of the car. Okay, all right. Okay? Looking at the rear, I, I do like it. There's a lot going on, but it's the body side that doesn't interest me as much. It's mm. not as creative. It's kind of boring. And mm. it is too similar to other SUVs in that class. And it's not classy enough looks too busy it looks too fussy even though bmw has done fussy for years and years and years yeah 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 you look at this and you think what makes this stand out it's really the front and rear clips front and rear designs yeah essentially that body side is frankly uninteresting and it says off-road those wheel arches tell my eye off-road when in mm. fact this is not <laughs> so i think okay would just simple you know half circle sort of shapes and closing those wheel arches be better? No, not necessarily. I'd like to play with something different, but they're equal, they're equidistant from the wheel arch opening, and that tells your eye, off-road, this is Mm, not. mm. So that is what is jarring to me, because that is not the first and foremost feature of this vehicle is... And, and the styling tells my eye something different than what it's intended, and that's why it's jarring. The proportions are fine. It's an SUV. It's okay. It's got to be electric. You've got the new corporate front end. And those sh- shapes on the rear are just new ways of old shapes, which, okay, I can see how BMW got there. Yeah, yeah But then yeah. I look at the body side, and I think, mm, I'm not buying it. That does not say BMW to me. It mm. says every other SUV, and why should I consider that? It doesn't stand out to me. 
I'm just going to stay with ugly, but you do a much better job. Or we could just call it ugly. On, on the world of design, Sean Fisher 5 says, what design element do you want manufacturers to return to from past cars or past generations? He says beaver teeth is acceptable, saying don't do that anymore. However, I'm going to go another way. I've had two thoughts here that I don't think are ever going to happen, but I so wish they would, Sean. I loved the shape. I'm going to go to the 60s. I loved the shapes in the 60s that were doing two interesting things. One, shapes that didn't have brakes in them. It was one flowing shape. Now, at the time, there's no computer design. This was just eyeballed, okay? But think what, about the what Jaguars. Decade, what year? The 60s. Think about okay, the Jaguars. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. a long, flowing shape that is just a, a, a ultimately an aerodynamic shape with mm-hmm. very little breaking that shape. Mm-hmm. You can just mm-hmm. track it all yeah. the way down the car. I love those shapes because those have gone because of the other one I wish they would bring back. If you look at modern cars, they've got so many sharp kinks and lines in door panels, in quarter panels. They try to figure out a way to put a point on a car. And I think that has ruined nice flowing lines because we no longer have the ability to do tail fins. Because your eye stops at the point of inflection on the car. Essentially, well, this is where the design ends, and I'm making it a point of a trim piece or a, or a design feature I'm, or I'm going to light make a, I'm going to make a corner in the light, essentially. I'm going right. to make a kink yeah. in the light, which that takes away from a flowing shape. But I think people are trying to make sharp shapes without it leaving the body shape. Tail fins left the body shape with a sharp mm-hmm. shape. Mm-hmm. I love tail fins. Now, we have crash restrictions and that kind of stuff. That's why they don't exist anymore. But... Tail fins were cool because you could have essentially a rocket shape. You could have a smooth shape that now had sharp angles come off of it. I love that look. I look at the think about the original hmm. back to fifties. Mm-hmm. Now the okay. original Corvette we drove, yeah, yeah, had rockets by the tailpipes. They're actually models and rockets yeah, by the tailpipes. Like the but the rest of it was this nice flowing shape. It's interesting how you can combine those two. Now we're trying to put it all onto one shape, and it's a lot. Well. Super quick, a thought on German design. What is German look? BMW and Mercedes are diametrically opposed as far as their design philosophies right now. Sure, yeah, yeah. Mercedes is defining their designs by surface. BMW Mm. is defining their designs by line. Interesting. Okay, all right. Now, that doesn't mean they're unsuccessful or one it's is not a good or bad it's just different approaches it's yeah. just very different approach and so you think okay what what's german what what is mm, that mm. now they've both taken very different approach approaches to it i think mercedes though has set themselves up better for the future because of the shapes you're talking about those very familiar gorgeous surfaces versus okay. defining okay. your designs by lines it's easy to do or that. Or teeth, as the case may be. Or teeth, yes. <laughs> Gosh. Because the designers keep going with line mm, rather mm. than using it by, I, I just want to push that surface in about six mils to make it a downward facing, and that actually creates a, a, a sort of an ambient occluded shape, a downward facing shape that is darker okay. on that All body right. side, All whereas right. it makes this highlight, that's more of a sculptural approach versus BMW doing a line, a pen and line mm-hmm. kind of approach. You you just keep drawing, and it's not as successful because those lines don't feel resolved to me. They just feel, I'm trying something new. And in this era, I think BMW is still trying to find their new voice. They've introduced something very new that I I think the people who like it are in the minority. I'll <laughs> yeah, just say that. I, that. That was tactfully put. Isn't that delicate? That was very nice. But they've defined this, and now they're trying to define all the rest of their designs, mm-hmm. starting with that 
and now make the rest of it interesting and yeah. kind of attractive. But that it's using line. Not that it can't be successful, and I have hope that they can sort it out, but it feels like they're trying stuff on us, the consumers, right now. And they're trying to say that we're supposed to like it, too, which I think is, yeah. is not the right way to go. I have one last one, and that relates right to what we've been doing this week. Alfresco Roadster asks, what are our thoughts on replica or kit cars versus real cars? <laughs> He's intrigued by the 356 Speedster like we just drove or a replica 550 Spider versus like a real Porsche 914. He wants vintage looks and the handling of a, of a, of a Miata. Is what he's talking about. Okay. All right. Now, okay, I'm going to massively simplify this because we've just been in some replica cars. What you you need to worry about most is setup. Absolutely. I have, I have no yes. issues with buying a replica or a kit car. We've had a lot of fun with them this week. The the issue with them is because it's home built. I'm using that term loosely because you may have bought one already built, but because it's home built, it there's no standardization. There's limited standardization. It's limited. So There's as a some, result, yeah. if something goes wrong, you're on a little bit of an R&D hunt. Now, if you're okay with that, fine. You need to find somebody. If you, if you can't do it yourself, you need to find somebody that can figure it out for you. Okay? So that's, that's the weird part versus mm-hmm. if you bought mm-hmm. a 914, you can go on a forum and say, I have a 914, yeah. Yeah. and this happened, and somebody goes, oh, well, it's this. Whereas your kit car is going to be, well, it could be this or that or that. But your old 914 or your new quote-unquote kit car, both of them are probably going to take some setup to get to something that runs reliably and you like the way it drives. And I think, I could be wrong, I think the kit cars lend themselves to more play of how do I want this to be than the typical mass-marketed car, mass-manufactured car. So setup is so key. We were genuinely surprised by things we discovered about the setup of the Daytona. Agreed, agreed, And yes. we, as yes. we dug into this Daytona coupe and the way it was built by Factory 5, we were also boggled by how many other different ways the one we were driving could have been set up. <laughs> right, almost endless. Yes. But then there's the, the top three things that need to change to yes. make it a better driving experience or make it more comfortable or whatever. Yeah. Those so what do you want it to do? Sure. I don't have a single problem with you having a kit car or replica car because you can have, this is what this whole TV episode's about, you can have a timeless, money-no-object experience that didn't cost the moon. Yeah, right. Right. Todd Beachy says, how many episodes can you listen to in a 24-hour road trip? <laughs> Apparently a lot. Okay. Go, we need to revisit our episode one fantasy garage. Money oh, wow. no object. Has our garage changed? Hmm. We do need to go to ba- back to that at some point, but we need to bolster our answers, and things have changed over okay. a few years of podcasting. All right, good, good. So let's, uh, let's save that for a Topic Tuesday as well. But last question here from Michael Weitzel, who has an early reservation for the Rivian R1T. Hmm. You won't have the funds to keep it. So does he buy it and flip, buy and rent it, or just get his deposit refunded? I think you're going to be so intrigued once you do take delivery of it that you'll find a way to keep it for a while and then sell it. Because if you've got one in now, I think it will be very popular and very sought after that you Mm. won't have a problem selling it. But I think you do need to experience it. I understand you don't have the funds to keep it, but can you keep it for a little bit? Because... On that particular one, again, because it's going to be in such high demand and so interesting early, mm-hmm. if you make it available for sale very soon after they're introduced, 
you're not going to lose too much money, if any. You might gain money, but yeah. If he, but I do like the idea of not an immediate flip, a, a, a three to six month. Just what do you really think of this? Mm-hmm. Now sell it. That is interesting. Expand your yeah, yeah, repertoire. Yeah, yeah, you yeah know, for feel sure. Experience it. Just for know sure. about yeah. it, and then you might not lose very much at all. I doubt he would. Yeah. Guys, thank you so much for your questions. I thank you all the time, but they're really well cool. thought out, well crafted, and just really on point. So thank you guys. It's the questions that keep everything going. And I love that you guys are just part of this car community that is growing consistently. It's Share really the podcast fun. when you get a chance. Tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell an enemy. Do a review. That for a while. If you haven't reviewed yes. this podcast, it genuinely helps us. The people are writing every week and going, I just found it. And it's because many times they're just searching car podcasts. We're in the top 10 because of you guys. <laughs> that rating and review matters. It also helps on Amazon Prime. We greatly appreciate it. Just like Rocco on the island of Malta, who Google searched it. Rocco, thanks again. Great to hear from you. Looking forward to next time, everyone. Cheers. Cheers.